וגם אני פתאום רואה את Hello and welcome to Kolot. This is your host, Rabbi Hill Kappenstein, Director of the Columbus Community Kolot, and it is an honor to bring to you our second episode featuring Sivan Rahav Meir. Thank you to all those who shared feedback on our last episode with Justice Bernstein and for all those who came to see him at our Hanukkah event. In this episode, you will hear a story of a young girl who had a passion for one thing and one thing only. The truth. You will hear how Sivan began her career, at what age she got into journalism, and her Jewish journey in the middle of all of that. You can't help but walk away from this interview with a deep and profound appreciation for searching for the truth. So now, let me tell you about our guest. Sivan Rahav Meir is a media personality and lecturer, married to Yedidya, the mother of five, and lives in Jerusalem. She went on Shlichut with her family in 2019 when she served as World Mizrahi Shlicha to North America. She works for Israel TV News, writes a column for Yediot Achronot newspaper, and hosts a weekly radio show on Galei Zahal Army Radio. Her lectures on the weekly Torah portion are attended by hundreds, and the live broadcast attracts thousands more listeners throughout the world. Sivan lectures in Israel and overseas about the media, Judaism, Zionism, and new media. She was voted by the Jerusalem Post as one of the 50 most influential Jews in the world. Sivan, thank you so much for joining Kolot. <laughs> Wow, Shalom, thank you for exaggerating. <laughs> well, we, we actually got this, I think, um, maybe from your website, but, uh, but anyways, <laughs> it's, it's a real kavod, uh, it's a sechut and it's an honor for us to have you join us. Um, we, you know, you are such a, um, walking kiddush Hashem, uh, sanctifying Hashem's, um, name and Torah, Torah and mitzvot and, you know, everything that we live in, that we live for. So it's a real big wow. space for, uh, for us to feature you on Kolot. Thank you. And it's a great opportunity for me to, you know, speak to your community. Uh, it's part of, you know, I, 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 when I was speaking, I, I am sitting here in, here in Yerushalayim, but it's really meaningful for me to reach out and to be in touch with Jews from, from all over the world. I guess it's much, much harder uh, there, Columbus, Ohio, than here at the, the center of Yerushalayim. So, so for those who are listening, uh, thank you very much. And, uh, and let's uh, let's see what are, what are the questions. But just being here, just being here, it means it means a lot to me. Great, thank you. So you're a journalist, um, and you've been doing this for quite some time. When would you say that you got into journalism? You know, at least you know at an entry level. Yeah. Uh, so it may sound weird, but at the age of six, okay. Uh, you know, I grew up here and uh, uh, at the end of Kita Aleph, first grade, elementary school, our teacher, she taught us the Aleph Bet, you know, the Hebrew letters. And at the end of that year, I felt like I have this um, superpower, you know, in my hand. I can read, I can write. And it's like more than just, um, I saw, you know, all the kids in my class, they, they, they understood what she said. But for me, it was something uh, much deeper. It was like something... Um, very deep and very meaningful started like reading and writing became like it wasn't a hobby it was like a mission you know I want to read I want to write it's the best thing in my life by the way I wasn't so successful in you know there are other fields other hobbies and I was awful completely I was a loser when it comes to painting arts and crafts then dancing sports all kinds of activities so I found my my niche and I started reading and writing constantly and it was really fast. You know, I started interviewing people on, on Israeli TV at the age of like eight or nine. And it all began at a very early, early stage in my life. Wow. Wow. No, that's yeah. incredible because we're, you know, this is our second episode of Kolot. Our mm-hmm. first episode had uh, Justice Bernstein, who's a mm-hmm. Supreme Court justice, and he's blind since birth. And he, again, you know, handicapped in certain areas and found his thing. He loved 
uh, you know, the legal judicial system and zeroed in. And, you know, similar, you know, to you, he didn't have the opportunity to try different fields. And, yeah. you know, you saying painting wasn't your thing. And maybe there's <laughs> some other things that <laughs> that weren't your thing. But you found journalism that that spoke to you. Yeah, in a way, I felt like reading and writing is, is like a magic. You know, you can read something someone wrote 200 years ago, uh, or and you can write something, and people will, will read it worldwide, you know, whenever they want. It was like and interviewing people. By the way, I started interviewing the kids in my class uh, when I was like seven. I was curious, and I, I, I wasn't religious back then, and I had no mm-hmm. idea what it means. You know, Selem Elohim, image of God. We are all created... Mm-hmm. But Elohim in the image of God, but I had no idea what it means. Where each individual is so special, but I felt it, you know, in a in a in a very simple way. I was just seven. I felt each kid. It's like a treasure, and you can interview him or her and and hear fa- fantastic stories. It became like, yeah, I loved it, and wow. that's what I'm doing for for more than thirty years. More than thirty years. Okay, so we're gonna stop <laughs> on the, being a journalist for just one second because I see behind you a lot of. Jewish books, a lot of Sfarim. Um, yeah. I, I spot um, some Hebrew ones. I maybe see, I don't sh- think I see that many English ones. But uh, <laughs> so you said, but you did not grow up religious, but you have a no, pretty no, nice no. farm shrunk behind you. <laughs> Tell us how that <laughs> yeah. happened. Yeah. So, and that's not the official library here. That's just, uh, <laughs> yeah. Um, I think what happened was um, at the age of 15, I first met someone who is religious in Hebrew, we call it Dati. Mm-hmm. Now it's, it's, it's once again, it's, it's like strange. Because you, you grew up in Israel in the Jewish state. It's possible. You can live here uh, in a very secular environment in the city of Herzliya, uh, the center of Israel near Tel Aviv. And I never met someone who was like, uh, uh, who is Shomer Shabbat, who keeps Shabbat or keeps Kashrut or never until the age of 15. But I was already a famous journalist. I was on TV almost every day. And I first met three religious girls, three like modern Orthodox girls. And I said, wow, you must, I must interview you. And they say, why? And I said, what do you mean? Three religious girls were found in the state of Israel. It's a scoop. It's like something very exclusive. Now I I think it's, I see it as something funny, but, but for me, then it was like UFOs, you know, meeting someone who is that he was religious. And then I, I started interviewing them. And they stopped in the middle. They said, "Listen, it's it's your questions. You're clueless. I mean, it's it's ridiculous. Don't don't uh, publish this interview." And they said two words that changed my life. They said, "Boy le Shabbat, come for Shabbos." They invited me to come for Shabbat, and in a way, it it changed my life because I came for the first time to see what Shabbat is all about, and I just fell in love. And at the age of fifteen, I stopped working. You know, twenty four seven. I I have had TV shows on Friday night. And Shabbat morning, Saturday morning. And slowly I, I started working, working 24-6. That was the first, I think, uh, the first uh, step in this, in this journey. And uh, I can never thank them enough, you know, because they, they just cared about me and they saw someone who knows nothing about, you know, I knew nothing about my her- heritage. And, and uh, that, 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 it's a very uh, boring story. Usually you hear fascinating uh, chuva stories. People change their lives. And, extreme cool you know adventures and uh, i just you know i just uh, took the bus from herzliya to beersheva and i came to their house it was the city of beersheva in the south of israel and i just spent shabbat there and the rest is my history well i would say for that's amazing um and and i have a lot of um you know bali teshuva in my family so this is something very close to us but what i do want to zero in on you said the two words that changed your life was come for shabbos so, you know, maybe this wasn't like the, you know, crazy exotic um, story of, of um, you know, uh, embracing Jewish observance. But I think it does maybe shed light that if Shabbat, you know, could change your life um, from, you know, for someone that did not know about Shabbat. We who now that we know something about Shabbat, how much more uh, Shabbat can enhance our life and not be this old day that you're just not allowed to do this and not allowed to do that, et cetera. Definitely. I, I believe Shabbat is the key. To, to, to everything. I think it's the base. I really, you know, th- this journey started with Shabbat because everything, I added many mitzvot afterwards, but I think, I, I say it here in Israel to secular people, I, and I meet so many Jews, you know, from all kinds of streams and sectors abroad. I think Shabbat should be the common denominator. I don't care, you know, how do you define yourself and how do you see yourself 
to the left, to the right, liberal, uh, um, open, close, all those definitions of, you know, uh, I think Shabbat should be, it's like the, the sign of, of Jewish people for, for 2,000 years, more, uh, since Mount Sinai, since we received our Torah. And I think it's just a gift. And how can you turn, how can you not, I mean, don't you want to receive this gift Hashem, Hashem gave us? I believe, in a way, if you try, if you taste, you just fall in love. Beautiful. Yeah, it is the Matana and the Beskinazar. Uh, and, it, and it's actually uh, 3,333 years from mm. our Sinai, from Mount Sinai. Um, Thank you, Rabbi. Yeah, so now I want to like dive in just a, dip, uh, a, a, you know, a bit further. Talk about the, some of the sacrifices. I mean, you're on TV pretty much every single day. And you know, that's not just your passion, but it's also you know, your livelihood, your Parnassa. Um, and you know, you know, taking a step back and, you know, going from 24, seven to 24, six, what were some of the risks like? How did you manage that? Um, and how did, you know, how did the chips fall over there? Yeah. So basically my colleagues, they thought I'm, you know, I'm crazy. I mean, why, uh, you have great, you're hosting TV shows. The rating is great. I mean, why are you lazy? Are you sick? Are you becoming like primitive in the way? I believe Shabbat is the source of the, all the blessings Mekor bracha, we say it in Hebrew. The source of the bracha, it's in Hebrew, it means to, to bless something. I think Shabbat blesses, in a way, the six days that are, that are, that are afterwards, you know, the six days of the week. And I, I saw it, you know, I, I, physically. The minute I stopped working on Shabbat, Sunday became better, Monday became better. I mean, it, it became deep, because if you know how to stop, you also know how to continue and how to work. It's, it's crazy, you know, being available online all the time. I, you know, you disconnect in order to, to connect and to become a better version of yourself. So in a way, it was strange to my colleagues. It was really weird. You know, why, why aren't you working with us? But um, I really saw how Shabbat changes me, not just on, when you keep Shabbat, you keep Shabbat on Wednesday. It affects Thursday. Mm-hmm. It, 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 mm-hmm. You should see it throughout the week. And I just read Joe Lieberman's book, Senator Lieberman, he just read, it was translated into Hebrew. We, he wrote a beautiful book about Shabbat. And in Hebrew, it was just translated now. And he says, people ask me, how can you be a successful senator? He was also almost vice president mm-hmm. when you keep Shabbat. And he said, no, you should change the equation. Oh, the opposite is, I mean, how can you be a successful se- senator if you do not keep Shabbat? If you do not stop mm-hmm. for one day to Beautiful. ponder, to think, to, to even sleep, to, to, to eat, to, to speak. So, um, that's that's how I saw it, you know, from the beginning. I know it's hard. And I guess for your listeners, sometimes it's harder because in the States, you know, uh, I live in a Jewish state. After all, it's, it's much easier. But yeah, it's a challenge. It's a challenge we're all, we're all facing. Wow. So so the first, you know, part of that, you know, Jewish observance journey was um, with Shabbat. I want to know if there were other parts of um, Torah and mitzvot that, you know, needed to be adjusted in the world of journalism. For example, um, you know, the, the Torah pro- prohibits Lashon Hara, um, you know, to speak, uh, you know, certain negative talk about fellow, um, you know, about people and Jews, et cetera. Um, talk to me about some of the other challenges that there are in the media and specifically regarding uh, Torah observance. In a way, I think many people ask me about Lashon Hara. Many people ask me about speaking, you know, bad things, gossip, or negative uh, like um, uh, sentences, but I believe in a way the challenge is much bigger outside of the studio because when I'm on, you know, air, it's like I'm speaking. It's very public, you know. If I speak about our prime minister and I have a lot of criticism, a lot of things to say about our prime minister, the current one, Bennett, um, it's not gossip. It's not rechilut. It's not lashanara. It's the way Jews are handling their, their Jewish state after 2,000 years. It's very important. People should speak. There's freedom of speech. It's, it's discussing a policy and, and Yiddishkeit and Jewish values and democracy. It's not Lashonara. Outside of the studio, uh-huh. when I speak about the dresser and the secretary and the producer, then it's much, that, that's much, that, that's nasty. And I believe people are always, they're always asking me about, what do you do when, you know, when there's the, the, the light that says on, but when it's off, it's much harder, you know, behind the scenes. So it, sometimes people ask me about how, how can you work as a religious journalist and being a good religious mother and a good religious wife? The conflicts, I believe, today, the, I would say the more personal, intimate conflicts, they're much bigger than those who are public. 
people know me, they see me, uh, it's, it's live, you know, so the, when, when the lights are on, I'm okay. The question is, for all of us, what happens when the lights are, you know, when you turn off the lights, that's, that's the question. Wow. Very well said. And, you know, it, it struck me as you were saying that maybe that's the understanding in the passage, the Mishnah and ethics of our fathers in Pirkei Avot that says, I and Roev, Ozen Shamat, and, and all your deeds are written in a book, the Sefer Nechtavim, that everything's recorded really. So we should really have that mindset 24, seven, 365, But Exactly. Uh, People always ask me about the public part of my life. Like, no, you're, you're, that's the test. That's the, no, the, the real test is, you know, as, as private people, all of us, all of us. Mm-hmm. Beautiful. I want to get into now a style of reporting and journalism. Um, there seems to be, at least, you know, my, you know, looking around, there seems to be a little bit of a, um, you know, the differentiation between journalism and opinions have not been so well, um, you know, separated. What is your philosophy on reporting um, do you make sure to separate or do you think, no, to the contrary, they're different journalism and they should be able to do it, you know, the way that they see fit? Mm-hmm. Well, I want to tell you something. It's not like you're interviewing a journalist. Rabbi uh, Kappen said, you are also a journalist. We're all journalists because we all have uh, a new smartphone, iPhone. We all have that new uh, uh, tool that makes us, all of us, okay? Into, we're all journalists. Nobody, it, nobody pays. We all work for free for Zuckerberg. But in a way, we all became journalists. So it's funny. People still ask me about what do you write? What do you share? What do you film? Don't you see you do it all day? And you're much more relevant than than me. Because if we call it new media, that new field is called new media. So how should we call, you know, the the places where I work today? Old media. I'm not, you know, (laughs) um, it's okay. I'm not insulted. I work for the old media, TV, radio stations printing newspapers and magazines it still exists but what what's going to happen in 20 years we're all we all became the kids are now journalists and i think this is the main mission today understanding how can we all be responsible journalists so you're still speaking i mean you're still asking me about objective journalists it doesn't exist anymore because when you, you when you're standing there with your tie and jacket you still speak about you know the facts but the minute you're you don't even have to leave the the studio People tweet while they speak on TV. They, they, our reporters, they, they're Israelis. They're not, you know, they're not so polite. They tweet while they speak <laughs> on TV. They just proved one of the reporters now, while he was speaking live, he was tweeting, <laughs> okay, simultaneously. So, and he's not objective. No one will follow an objective journalist because it's boring. You must bring your agenda and your values with you. And I find it incredible, you know, for the first time, I don't have to just be a boring journalist telling you what happened today uh, in, you know, our Knesset, our parliament, or in the Supreme Court. I covered the Supreme Court. It's boring. You don't need me for the facts anymore. Mm-hmm. You have the information. Mm-hmm. You don't need the journalists in the past. We needed to tell you, okay, what happened today? You know it. You get push notifications before I even report the, what, what happened. Sure. So today, if you need us as journalists, and I think it's the context, that sometimes it's the sense of humor. Sometimes it, I mean, what is the extra... What's the value I get? I mean, because the data is out there. The information is well known. So we, we should rethink about this, this um, uh, uh, world called journalism and try to see what, how can we still offer something that will be interesting for you out there. That, that's how I see it. Yeah. You know, actually that resonates with me a lot because people um, say that you have to be objective and, you know, let's be open and honest. No one's objective. We all have our (laughs) nigiyas, our nigiyots. We all have our inklings and that's the way we were created. And, you know, the goal is to use the Torah to be, that should be through the prism, the lens that you see it. So how can you be subject? uh, You know, how can you be objective? You have to be subjective. You have to be subject to the, to the the values that we're taught. I, I, yeah, I like that a lot. No, I, I have, you know, we say in Hebrew, we say Moshe Emet v'torato Emet. Mm-hmm. Moshe Rabbeinu is, uh, it's, it, he is, uh, he represents truth and the Torah, the values he taught us, this is truth, okay? This is really objective. Uh, um, human narratives, we have many human narratives. Torah is not just another narrative, it's the truth. So yeah, I try to represent it, but, um, I, you know, many people disagree with me. It's okay. People say, oh, she's too uh, from, she's too... Uh, extreme uh, she doesn't represent you know um uh, you know uh, uh, there are a lot of different jews in israel you know it 
sometimes you know it better than us. You read about Israel a lot. You know what's going on here. So, uh, but th- that's my, you know, my from from my perspective, I believe the majority of the people in Israel do want to hear about their tradition. It's part of their culture. It's part of their their pulse. And it's not just another state. It's it's a, the Jewish state. It's the the spirit. It's the it's the the way this state was you know it was founded. And yeah, I tried to. To promote those values, I'm not ashamed. You know, and that's my agenda. Well, that's beautiful, um, and and you're honest about it too, so it makes it even better. <laughs> uh, so, you know, Israel's you know many times um, said to be the only democracy in the in the Middle East, uh-huh. and if you're to follow the news and listen to all the back and forth, like this is democracy. So, for us in you know. In America, we you know when I studied in Israel, I was in the I was in the Mir Yeshiva, and they I remember ah. I was you know when I go to people's homes for Shabbat, they would say, "Oh, you're a chutznik." So for us chutzniks who are in who are in America, uh, tell us a little bit about this democracy. Mm-hmm. Um, so first of all, uh, I do I I think in a way, Israel is a miracle. I mean, the Jewish nation it's it's a miracle. I mean, we sure. came back here after two thousand years. And it's not something you take it for granted. I mean, the fact we, we succeeded and the fact we built a democracy here because, the, you know, uh, we can be a, a Jewish version of Iran or Syria or Libya or Jordan or Egypt or the Palestinian Authority. Look at our neighbors. They're all, you know, I don't want to say they're all the same. Some of them are, you know, uh, there are differences. But yeah, you, you can, there's no, even such a conversation like we're speaking now. You can't have such a conversation in most of the the, the countries around us. It's in a, I'm speaking about something uh, um, 20 kilometers from from where I'm speaking right now. You know, uh, Jordan or other places. Not without even mentioning what's going on with in, inside Gaza. You know, with the Hamas. Sure. Uh, uh, um, uh, you know, uh, uh, taking uh, also already took uh, took uh, uh, over Gaza. I mean, uh, a decade ago. So when when I see Israel, first of all, you know, compare it to our neighbors. Really, it's it's. Uh, I think it's it's inspiring. But even it's it's the easiest thing to say. Okay, look at Gaza. Look at Jordan. No, I think if you compare Israel to 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 Israel, it's it's really impressive what we're building here together. I mean, we see ancient prophecies. When I walk here in the street streets of Jerusalem, I I can see what the our prophets what they described, what they were dreaming about for two thousand years. You know, our ancestors. We still have many challenges. It's not perfect. I'm not naive. People think it's the final redemption. No, no. There are many challenges here in Israel. And it's a huge responsibility building the Jewish state after 2,000 years. I mean, I think, I always, I always ask myself, I didn't invent this question, but I heard it in the past. Will Abraham Avinu be proud of us? Will Sarah Imenu, if they will see us right now, the state of Israel. And we must uh, create a state in order to make them proud of what we created. And uh, we still have a lot of, you know, uh, homework here. When you speak about Shabbat or, or Kashrut or even, you know, um, a TV shows, it's not the, uh, uh, the perfect state yet. But yeah, I think we look, we're moving forward. And in a way, it's, um, it's a free democracy completely, you know, freedom of speech and the elections and everything. I mean, but uh, it still has this, I think, this sense of, of, of uniqueness of, you know, um, children that are coming back to their home, and you know, even a Jew that was ne- that never visited Israel, it's, it's it's his home too. I mean, you can be you can ne- you can visit Israel for the first time in your life when you're sixty, and it's still you're coming home. So it's yeah, it's a complicated uh, and even the the, um, the connections with with you with the Jews abroad. I mean, in a way, it's your it's your state too. You don't live here, you don't vote here, you don't pay taxes, but uh, you still. In a way, you are you are connected, and we definitely feel it. Libibah Mizrach. At the end of the day, that's right. Um, okay, so you know, when it comes to Israel, you know, Jews in America are, um, you know, like to say they're very passionate about the state of Israel, and we do what we can in terms of advocacy, uh, both locally and nationally. You know, on the other side, you know, in Israel, how do you think? Is there, first of all, is there a consensus about America today? Um, I guess we could say in the post-Trump era, mm. is there a consensus that the relationship is still strong, as strong, stronger, weaker? 
where do you see, is there a consensus? And if so, what do you think that it is? First of all, I think it's too, it's early. I mean, it's it just not, I mean, we, we're still curious because uh, uh, Biden's administration is definitely not anti-Israel. God forbid Biden supports us. Mm-hmm. Question is, you know, other parts of the Democratic uh, uh, Party and, and uh, we hear the voices here too about, you know, when we some, sometimes I'm shocked that the, to see the way they they see Israel, they, it's like uh, the opposite of what's going on here. You know, there's one side that supports terror. There was a terror attack just yesterday here in Yerushalayim. And the other side really seeks for, for peace in the Middle East. You know, we're not the problem of the Middle East. We're, we're, we are the solution. And you see it, you know, with, with Abram's accord, with you, how, how those states, they, look, the people in Dubai, it's not just a peace agreement. Listen, they love us. I mean, the way my friends, they were there. The way they hug Israelis, the way they kiss their their kippah, their yarmulka, it's crazy. I mean, I I think they, it's not just a peace agreement. They see Israel as a source of inspiration, and they ignore the Palestinian problem because they understand the Palestinians. They don't want to help themselves. How can I help a nation that doesn't want to grow? I can't force them, you know. So, and it's a, it's, it's such a beautiful, I think, um, decision of those three, uh, four, four different countries signing new peace agreements. We will. We cannot wait for the Palestinians forever. I think it's a great achievement, and that's that's Trump's achievement. Now, uh, regarding Biden, I think we're definitely waiting to see what's going to happen with Iran and with building in Judea and Samaria, building in Yerushalayim, and uh, this the coalition in Israel is not so stable. So we cannot. It's not like when Netanyahu was the prime minister. You know, it, things were much more. I think um, uh, clear. Now we have six different governments in one coalition and six different uh, uh, prime ministers in one coalition. So it's complicated here enough without even, you know, we have so many inner problems. I don't think we, we think about Biden all day because uh, Israel is still dealing with COVID with that new uh, Omicron. Do you call it in English Omicron too, or you have another different name to this? Yeah. Omicron, yeah. So we're still dealing with this. I mean, we have other issues. I, I believe we're not, it's not the number one, you know, when we speak about priorities, it's not like the relationship with the United States were always strong and it will stay strong. It's not the main issue here in Israel when I look at the, you know, the news here. Mm-hmm. Uh, we don't know yet. I mean, let's, let's see. Okay, great. So you, you don't see a threat. You know, you're, you're, oh. you're, you're cautious. You know, you, you stay in touch, but you don't, you got, you know, thank God you don't see anything that like, uh-oh, that, you know, something like in that nature. No, no, no. I said, well, we're still waiting. He just started. Our prime minister just started. Biden just started. They both have other, you know, uh, urgent issues. Sure. It's not, no, no. The, you know, question that a lot of people ask, and, you know, I understand it's a little bit of a hard question to answer, uh, <laughs> if that's okay. Uh, you know, BB was, uh, you know, obviously very strong, right to the right. And he aligned himself with President Trump. Um, mm-hmm. very much so. And you could say that was strategic. You could say that was because he was showing gratitude. You could say it was both, but whatever you want to say it is, there was a very, very strong alliance. And, and, you know, you could tell that they not just like, you know, philosophically, they, they saw eye to eye, but they had a certain chemistry that um, may have not been more different than, um, you know, when, with president Obama and, and BB's, uh, you know, their chemistry. D- do you think that the strong relationship may have, you know, sometimes you disagree with someone, not just because of the opinion, but just because they're opposing party, you know, just, it's uh, just, you have to be the opposite because they're the opposite party. So do you think that that strong relationship may be um, something that could hurt Israel because it was so strong with Trump? And now that, you know, there's a, you know, the president is someone who ran against Trump, you know, do you think that may play a role or not? Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Listen, I think bipartisan, what we call by partisan, I think it's a, I mean, Israel must be, you know, above all those issues and both parties should support mm-hmm. Israel. I'm really happy that they, they had this chemistry and strong relationship and peace agreements, but maybe it was too strong. I mean, they showed us their love in a very, I, would say, I, I think, public way. And I understand why it is annoying for the, the other side. And uh, definitely, I mean, politically, I think it wasn't so wise to just right. invest, invest all the time and energy and then. And, you know, efforts in this, this part that loves us and, and we love them too, but definitely Israel. And by the way, it's not just Israel. Judaism mm-hmm. cannot be identified just with this part of the you know, political spectrum. Right. As I said, Shabbat belongs to you. Even if you support uh, uh, um, 
Bernie Sanders, okay? You, you can keep Shabbat and love Bernie. It has nothing to do with Bernie. It's okay. I mean, it's, it's like, I, must, I think, once again, Judaism, we, we say when we, when we say uh, on Kabbalah Shabbat, the beginning of Shabbat, we say, Yamin usmol tifotzi. You should be above, there's right and left, Yamin and small, but Shabbat is above right and left. It's a day of, you know, all spectrum, all sides, all, all streams. And with the younger generation, the campuses, the students in the States, definitely uh, uh, we must reach out to them. We cannot just stay with our uh, conservative, I would say, um, um, uh, uh, truant, you know, shtetl. Uh, 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 it's, it's really important. Okay, so now this question just popped into my head when you said Yaminu Smoltifrozi. So uh, what does the Meir family talk about at the Shabbos table? Does uh, any of this get there? Uh, wow. Um, so uh, basically the kids, it's an opportunity to share with them. I mean, what happened during the week because many things happened. Mm-hmm. Uh, this Shabbat, I will tell them about you, Columbus, Ohio, you know. Uh, and... Uh, we, we, you know, it's a very normal Shabbat table. We don't have all those. There are many family, we, families with like uh, customs of, uh, he will read about the Parsha and she will sing and they will dance. We just speak, we, we eat, we, we sing a lot. Hashem, the kids are, they're all musicians. We sing, we eat, we speak. And we do have one custom. It's called, um, it's like a round. People share something good that happened to them during the week. Beautiful. And it's fascinating because usually the shy guest, the one who doesn't speak, he must speak out loud, say something and become part of the Shabbat table. Beautiful. Oh, that's, that's, that's incredible. I love that. Uh, so now, <coughs> you know, getting a little more into your family, you, your entire family, I believe, came to America in 2019 for the year, right? Yeah. There, you, no one was left in Israel. Everyone came, right? <laughs> We don't leave our kids behind. No, so my what was that like? Just, I mean, you know, when people talk about Aliyah, they say like, how oh, my kids going to adjust in school? And, yeah. and that's just a one-time switch here. You're talking about coming here and then going back, you know, and you had a job. It's not like you just, you know, relocated for whatever, for, for whatever reason, you know, you had a job. So whatever stressors, you know, there are with all the transitioning for the schools and everything, but you also had something else that was a full-time gig. What was, first of all, what, you know, maybe talk about some of the challenges and how you dealt with it. And also maybe your experience and your take on, 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 on us, uh, chutzniks here in America. Yeah. So first of all, we came, we, uh, World Mizrahi Movement sent us on Shlichut to North America. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we visited dozens of communities. Unfortunately, we didn't have the chance to visit your community, but we visited really so many places, campuses, organizations, schools, schools all over like North America. And it was fascinating. And we planned to stay for a second year, but COVID, you know, changed everything. Mm-hmm. Um, the kids were, and I, I want to say something here to those who may think about Aliyah. Maybe they're considering making Aliyah. Um, kids adjust in a second, especially when it's meaningful. When you speak about shlichut, about we're on a mission, there's a task here. We're doing something important. They become young shlichim, and it's important. My kids, they went, we, we all... Um, we lived in New York. I mean, we lived in North Woodmere, part of Five Towns. And I really admire Olim. Since we lived in America, I admire Olim, especially those who live Five Towns. That's like really I mean, almost impossible. And when they come to Israel, it's really, it's not easy. But in a way, when your kids, when they feel something is important, um, they become much more, I think, serious and devoted and committed. Every day they went to school as like Israeli shlichim. They were teaching like Hebrew or Everything they did was meaningful. Oh, here's the Israeli kid. You mentioned the phrase Kiddush Hashem earlier. You said, how do you represent Torah values? So even if you're six and you go to a like pre, like a kindergarten, uh, you represent something when, when you when you go there, if you if you if you understand it. And I think in a way, um, if, if kids can do a lot if, if they feel it's meaningful. And they adjust in a minute. Well, Hashem, they learned the language, it was beautiful. Uh, the hardest thing for me, I think, was the nuances. It wasn't the language. It was the, between the words. Uh, let's face it, we're different. Israelis are different. And I felt sometimes, I'm speaking English, but I'm not speaking it in the way, I mean, I have so many examples of maybe people were insulted. Sometimes I didn't understand. I want to tell you, it's natural and you should always ask. I worked with so many communities. I worked for YU, Yeshiva University, Stern College. I was, mm-hmm. I was you know, I gave a weekly lecture there. 
And I spoke about it with the students, you know, um, cultural nuances. It's fascinating. So when you come to Israel, don't be shy. Let's, let's laugh together about, about those differences. It's okay. Let's learn from each other. And I also learned a lot from your communities. I want to tell you something. The concept of community is much stronger because here, whenever I go on the street, they're all Jews. Most of them are mm-hmm. Jewish people. Mm-hmm. And it's not they're Arabs, okay? You live with like the majority, like Christian people, all kinds of, you know, Spanish, all Latino, all kinds of. And when you go to your shul, this is the chance. Now you meet Jews. Sure. So it's different. And I think we have a lot to learn from your empires of identity, social centers. It's like not just, you don't, you just, don't just come to Daven to pray. You come there for, just for, the, for Kiddush, for having a shiur, learning to get, it's much more. And I was really am, shocked, amazed to see how much it's, it's, how important it is to you. Jewish education, everything is private. Everything is, you know, tuition. We learned a lot about that concept, <laughs> but, uh, but it's important. We, 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 Israelis, they think they're perfect. They can just teach you. No, we can learn from you a lot. We can definitely learn from your communities. That's no, that's beautiful. And I love that. If there's a mission, if there's a purpose, if there's meaning, so much of the other stuff gets overshadowed um, and, and kind of fades you know away. What? A when, bit. when we came back, it was really, I'll give you another example because maybe people will understand. If you're not on Shlichut, listen, we had to come back. We basically escaped from New York. The hardest days of New York, remember, uh, uh, during the, the month of March before Pesach, March, yeah. we took the last flight. El Al, they stopped all the flights from Israel. We found something from Newark. To, we were like lost, really. And we came here and we were quarantined, locked down in Israel. And we had to clean. I, we rented a place for Pesach with nowhere to go. Someone was renting our house. Crazy. I can't meet my parents here. We rented a place for Pesach. We had three days to clean a huge house that doesn't belong to us. The kids. Usually I tell them, oh, you're lazy. You don't work. You don't help me. What can we do? You have a mission. Three days we were working, days and nights, and we cleaned everything for Pesach. And now this year I tried to, to, to do it again. No chance. Because when you feel, you know, something here is happening, you must uh, be a part of it. Yeah, no, that's beautiful. And, and also like, you know, Pesach is uh, Zman Geula Senu. It's about Geula. So you're redeeming yourself from the confines of, uh, from, the, from the chains that hold us back. Because you have a purpose that could break everything and all those barriers. So uh-huh. uh, what a time uh, of season to, to express that. Uh, exactly. So something that makes you, I think, very unique. Um, um, maybe we could even say without, you know, without being, uh, without, this is not, probably not hyperbole, but you're one of a kind. Uh, you know, you are, you know, broadcasting to Jews who, you know, like yourself, prior to uh, six years old um, or, or whenever someone said come for Shabbat, but uh, you, to people that just don't know much. And then you have a lot of shiurim, you have a lot of classes, a lot of Torah, and you're, uh, you, have a, you have an appeal to so many different walks of life. Um, was that intentional? Did it just come about? Is that consistent with a certain, you know, teaching that you have value? How, you know, Walk us through a little bit about how do you reach so many, not just so many people in, you know, in quantity, but, you know, qualitatively, you know, such a wide range. I think uh, uh, when you understand that Hashem created us, think about it. We all know Hashem created us. Do we believe Hashem created us? It means you are a piece of, of, of God. And my kid is definitely like a small part of God is, is inside his soul. Each individual is holy in a way. Now I sound like Shlomo Kalibach. I'm not so uh, <laughs> spiritual, you know, I'm very realistic. But yeah, I found people fascinating. And the connection of people with Torah, that's like, boom. That's, I think, that that's the most uplifting thing. I mean, people are fascinating. The Torah is fascinating. And when they meet each other, something new is created. And especially in this generation, it's not just Torah and people. It's also the timing of, you know, as I described, uh, uh, what's going on in the Jewish uh, 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 with the Jewish people in our generation? So yeah, those th- three elements together, I see it as as a zchut. I'm privileged to be part of it and to cover and to write about it and to to share it with 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 uh, people abroad. And 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 definitely, you know, I I think the media, most of my colleagues, unfortunately, they chose a different path. There's this famous sentence uh, uh, that is said about the news that every evening at eight. 
we say good evening, but then we prove to you why well, it's not a good one. <laughs> good evening. And then just bad, bad negative things. And I believe we should say good evening and fill it with good things that are going on, good content. So that's my, you know, uh, my way. And Hashem, people, they want to follow, they want to get that, those materials. So maybe I'm doing something right here. I don't know. I love that. that no, that's great. You know, I, I tell a lot of people all the time, um, and, and, and I know that it's going to be offensive to some, but I believe it's the truth. Um, don't call me an Orthodox Jew. That's just not what I want to be called. You know, I'm not, I'm not Orthodox and you're not reform and she's not conservative. We are Jews. We have a Torah. We are, we are Jewish people. And that's the really, the, the, you know, the terminologies are all recent. They're all modern. Um, mm-hmm. But it's some reason it's scarce. Why is that? Why, why, yeah. do, why do we get so caught up in, in the, the minute you said it, I said, wait, 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 wait a minute. I must, uh, I must explain that he means that because we, we, because you're right. I mean, we invented those definitions. On Mount Sinai, Har Sinai, we didn't receive the, those definitions. You will be the T, you will be Haredi, ultra-Orthodox, modern, we didn't receive those, I mean, those um, types of, of, you know, definitions. And we invented them. The, the human, human beings invented it. But Hashem did give, sometimes people say it in order to do less. You say it in order to do more because you want people to mm-hmm. be committed to our Torah is, is full, is, is, is holy, is perfect. And you want people to be connected to the, to directly to our Torah uh, without those definitions. Okay, yeah, I understand what, you're, you're, what you want to say here. Sometimes people say, it, you know, I'm not Orthodox, I'm not Reform, I don't care. I, I will invent my own, you know, uh, uh, commandments and, and, and mitzvot and I will, it's okay. And uh, I think we should always want to be, uh, I, 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 in, a, in a shul in London, I once saw a beautiful sentence. A good Jew always tries to be a better Jew. So I love, I love the definition. That's beautiful. Oh, that's, 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 that sums it all up. That's great. We did not get to, um, you, your husband, you did. Yeah. And I thought this, uh, maybe as we close or as we get to the end segment of, of this episode, uh, to talk about something that you did together with him and that you authored a book for art scroll. Um, and we you know we have close friends in art scroll and it was really nice to see that you wrote this for them, uh, reaching to heaven. It was a story on Yaakov Edelstein, um, so, you know, were you close with him? Were your family, you had a relationship with him? And how did this book come about? Yeah, we, we lived in uh, his city, Ramat Sharon. I worked there. I hosted the morning show and uh, the studios are in Herzliya. So it's a beautiful show. You host the show while you're sleeping. It's a beautiful format, the morning show here in Israel. <laughs> but uh, yeah, it's very early. But that's what I did. So we, we just moved and we lived next to those studios. But we didn't know what a treasure is waiting there for us in Ramat Sharon, in the city of, of Edelstein, uh, of blessed memory. And for the first time, I met a living tzaddik, you know, someone who is like, you really, we're all human beings. But sometimes you meet someone and you're like, wow, he really lives according to those values. It's like, it's, it's serious. It's, it's possible. It's, you can uplift, upgrade your life and reach such a level. Wow. And it gives you a lot of inspiration. So we, we lived there for six years. And after he passed away, we collected hundreds of stories about him. And we published here in, here in Israel. It became a bestseller. And then our uh, good friends in, in Art Scroll, they decided to, to translate it into English. And it's really, for me, uh, so like, uh, um, uh, it's like and people are really, by the way, it was also, also translated to uh, 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 France in uh, French uh, 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 a year ago. So the fact people are reading about him abroad, yeah, for me, it's, uh, we really feel great about it. And by, by the way, uh, maybe I want to mention something else because books are, it's heavy, you know, buying a book. But people <laughs> the WhatsApp, the WhatsApp. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> WhatsApp is much easier than buying a book. Um, so um, that, that, that was next, by the way. <laughs> okay. So, yeah, <laughs> but go I, ahead. I, I do write a, a daily message about the Parsha or the holidays or what's going on in Israel or in the Jewish world or a yard site, you know, a day when someone passed away. I write, it's called the daily portion and write it from here, from Yerushalayim. And now we share it. We post it. We have a group of volunteers to the whole world. It is published, uh, first of all, in Hebrew. And then we have volunteers and they, they translate it into 14 different languages. Wow. We have it worldwide. And the English translation is great. Uh, written by Yoshua Siskin, uh, who made Aliyah, and he's great. And uh, if people want to follow, they, just, they can just Google Sivar Rav Meir, the daily WhatsApp, 
or just go, I have a website, sivanravmeyer.com, and you can see there in English. And, but also if you have, you know, someone in, in Germany or something, and, and someone who speaks Yiddish, uh, Persian people, we, we have it available, accessible uh, to each individual. And that's, yeah, it's something I'm really proud of. We're all volunteers. We do it for free and we, we do it for, uh, for, for the Jewish people. Wow. That's beautiful. Okay. So, you know, I want to, I want to offer you the opportunity to, you know, perhaps share a, uh, a parting message. You know, you're, 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 you're on the other side of the world, so to speak. Um, you're in Israel. You have this perspective that's very rare, you know, growing up, not Torah observant and now being very Torah observant and, 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 and teaching Torah. Um, we're in some interesting times in the world and uh, you know, we could use inspiration, not just so we feel a little better, but we have a little bit of clarity. And I want to offer you the opportunity to share uh, perhaps a perspective, a message for our audience. Wow. Um, I, I think um, people say, um, will my kid keep Shabbat? Will my girl be religious? That's the minimum. It's not the maximum. I want the next generation to be better. It's not enough. Just, okay, they will keep, oh, she will light Shabbos candles. That's great. Will she make other girls light Shabbos candles? Oh, he will, he will have a bar mitzvah. And what about his grandchildren and their friends and the Jewish neighbor? You never spoke to him. You never uh, reached out to him and invited him to a Shabbat meal. I'm sitting here speaking to you. Thanks to those three girls. Their names were Yael, Daphna, and Shiran. <coughs> Thanks to them, I am what I am today. They cared about me. Who will be Yael, Daphna, and Shiran to the millions of Jews that are waiting out there, just waiting to hear about our holy heritage and waiting to be more active and more engaged. So I believe when we speak about Jewish values, it's not enough to just say, tell people, continue, just, just keep, don't just keep, grow, be better, be shlichim, be, go out there and be, be more active. And if you know even the, what, what you know is enough in order to teach others, you know, you don't have to be a rav. I'm not a rav. I'm not a rabbit saint. I'm not a professor. But whatever the knowledge you have, share it with others. I think that's our generation's uh, mission. It's our responsibility. Beautiful. It's like that uh, quote that you saw in the synagogue. And for, uh, what was it again? Say that again. It was uh, a good Jew is a growing. A good Jew always tries to be a better Jew. A good Jew always strives to be a better Jew, and we could add on to that and helps other Jews become better Jews as well. Uh, great. Yeah, that's good. <laughs> Now I will quote Rabbi Kavanson from Columbus, Ohio, <laughs> with that, uh, yeah, adding that part. Amazing. Well, Sivan, thank you so much for joining Kolot. I mean, you know, this podcast is about bringing different voices and, you know, your voice and, you know, the, the, the example that you set was, you know, so befitting for our show. Next week we have, um, the next episode we have Rabbi Aaron Cutler, who's president emeritus wow. of the Lakewood Yeshiva, um, talk about his wow. grandfather's. Wow. His grandfather's uh, dream of, of of Torah learning in, in, in you know post uh, World War II, and the following. And then we have uh, you know incredible guests: David and Ida, David and Ida Schottenstein, Rabbi Y Y Jacobson. We have all these different voices coming oh, on. The best speakers. I'm gonna listen to those uh, this podcast. I <laughs> they will be on God willing soon. So yeah, but your story was unique. Um, this was incredible. Um, we really appreciate you coming on and hopefully, I don't know when the next time you're due uh, in the States, but we would love to welcome you to our community here in Columbus, Ohio. Not everyone knows how much Columbus, Ohio has done for the world with the, with the Schottenstein Talmud and the Dafyomi and everything like that. There's so much Torah that came out of this community. So we'd love to welcome you next time you're around. Okay, wait, wait, then I must ask, what do you mean? It began in your community? Well, the Schottenstein family, uh, you know, uh, began this project of this revolutionary project of, of, uh, you know, know of the art scroll Gemaras, which really, you know, was the vehicle that it was the means for the Daf Yomi movement to become something, you know, that it, that it, uh, that it is today where you could fill up a, you know, MetLife stadium and, and then, you know, you have an overflow in the Barclay center, uh, you know, 130,000 Jews, um, you know, yeah, celebrating started in, in Columbus, Ohio, well, Columbus, the, the, not the Daf Yomi movement that started with her mayor Shapiro. Uh, uh, yeah. But Southern they lived but there. The, yeah. But the, 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 the Columbus, Ohio was the community that uh, with the, with their leadership that, uh, you know, took this initiative and the Daf Yomi movement would not be what it is today without wow. people having a, the, you know, being, making Talmud accessible. And in Israel, I hear the, the Hebrew version. I mean, even Revelation, I heard was, was seen to have that uh, by him. 
um, the 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 Hebrew version. Not that he needed the the uh-huh. he liked that maybe this the the commentaries and the sources the the way it was formatted whatever it was. But um, you know, so we would love to welcome you when the time is right. Okay. And thank you for joining Kolot. Thank you. Bye bye. Thank you very much. Thank you so much for uh, joining Kolot. And uh, now that it's Thursday night by you, it's uh, we you know have a uh, Shabbat Shalom and looking forward to our next time connecting. Shabbat Shalom Yerushalayim. Thank you very much. Toda Raba. Wow, what a story! What a kiddush Hashem. You know what? What strikes me most about her is her wanting to know the MS, the truth. You know, think about it. Uh, a few young girls invite her for Shabbos and she wants to know what it's all about. Uh, when she's asked about her take on journalism today, she's honest about her not being objective because everything has to be subjected to her values. And lastly, she talked about how insignificant these different labels are, which we throw around Orthodox, modern Orthodox, ultra Orthodox, reform, conservative. It's all meaningless because the MS, the truth, is it's about being a good Jew, follow the Torah, and getting better every single day. In our next episode, we will be featuring Rabbi Aaron Cutler, President Emeritus of Beth Medrash Gavoa, a premier yeshiva in Kolel, and one of the largest in Jewish history. He'll talk about his grandfather and namesake, Harab Aaron Cutler, Zecher Tzadik Levracha, blessed memory, and the vision he had for American Jewry post-World War II. Plus, we'll talk about some of the less-known parts of his life, which I must say will definitely surprise you. So stay tuned and make sure to hear this exclusive interview only on Kolot. To listen to all Kolot episodes and see upcoming guests, visit kolotpodcast.com. We are also on all podcast players. Type in Kolot on iTunes, Spotify, Google, Stitcher, Podbean, Amazon. Share it with your friend and please make sure to give us a five-star review. This is Rabbi Hillel Kappenstein. Thank you for listening. Looking forward to seeing you next time. Kolot is a project of the Columbus Community Kolel, a full-time Jewish learning center in Bexley, staffed with high-caliber Torah scholars. Ever since 1995, boys, girls, men, and women from all backgrounds and affiliations have found many opportunities to connect with Torah and mitzvos at the Kolel. Whether it's a study partner, engaging lesson, or a program, the Kolel is your one-stop shop for all your Jewish learning needs. If you want to know how you can benefit from the Kolel, visit thekolel.org. That is T-H-E-K-O-L-L-E-L.org. And forever be inspired.